Tell me, you who desire to be under the law, do you not listen to the law? For it is written that Abraham had two sons, one by a slave woman and one by a free woman. But the son of the slave was born according to the flesh, while the son of the free woman was born through promise. Now this may be interpreted allegorically. These women are two covenants. One is from Mount Sinai, bearing children for slavery. She is Hagar. Now Hagar is Mount Sinai in Arabia. She corresponds to the present Jerusalem, for she is in slavery with her children. But the Jerusalem above is free, and she is our mother. For it is written, Rejoice, O barren one who does not bear. Break forth and cry aloud, you who are not in labor. For the children of the desolate one will be more than those of the one who has a husband. Now you brothers, like Isaac, are children of promise. But just as at that time he who was born according to the flesh persecuted him who was born according to the spirit, so also it is now. But what does the scripture say? Cast out the slave woman and her son, for the son of the slave woman shall not inherit with the son of the free woman. So brothers, we are not children of the slave, but of the free woman. Good morning. More than last week, there were six this week, three last week. Let me pray for us here. Father, thank you for your word. We ask, Holy Spirit, that you would impart to us the things you want us to hear this morning, things that are directly speaking to us because you are a personal God, and even if they aren't coming out through the text or through my words, that you, Holy Spirit, would be working dynamically in people's lives, in their, in their spirit, in their soul ministering to them exactly where they're at. In Jesus' name, amen. The theme of Galatians is freedom in Jesus. That we're no longer slaves, but we're heirs through God. In verse 7, it says, So you are no longer a slave, but a son, and if a son, then an heir through God. Now, what are we free from? Well, it's anything that's not God. So verse 8, formerly when you did not know God, you were enslaved to those that by nature are not gods. So the Greeks and the Romans, they had all these idols. And so if you're looking at someone like the Jews, some of them kind of made the law their idol and they fully trusted the law that, and that led them to this life of religiosity, this life of legalism, but that's not the intimate relationship with God that God desires. So before knowing God, people were enslaved to those that by nature are not gods. And this theme of freedom continues in this section of scripture that we're looking at this morning. And Paul goes back into the archives of history, back to Abraham, the father of faith, to give his readers this history lesson. So starting here in verse 21, tell me, you who desire to be under the law, do you not listen to the law? Paul addressed those who desire to be under the law and told them, you don't even know what it says. You don't even know what this stuff means. And there are people today who desire to live under the law. People who think the way to God is through religious acts or rules or regulations. And the way to spiritual maturity is through rituals or ceremonies, traditions. That these kind of external acts of religion are the things that can justify us before God, which is just simply not true. Following religious rules and regulations of a church does not equate to being a child of God. It's just the same as saying, like, you know, hanging out at somebody's house and knowing their house rules. It does not make you a member of their family. 
Right? It doesn't. They have to adopt you into their family. So Paul, in this section of scripture, gives them the literal history. And then he interprets that for them allegorically so that they can apply it to themselves personally. Now first, the history lesson, verses 22 and 23. For it is written that Abraham had two sons, one by a slave woman and one by a free woman. But the son of the slave woman was born according to the flesh, while the son of the free woman was born through promise. Abraham's story is found in Genesis chapter 16 through 21. Now why would Paul reference Abraham once again? Well, Paul knew the importance of the family tree. Right? He knew that the Judaizers placed such a high value on family lineage that they would even try to convince Gentiles or anybody else who profess faith in Jesus, those who have no tie to their lineage whatsoever, they would try to convince them to follow their religious rituals such as circumcision because that's what people in their lineage did. And so these Judaizers traced their lineage all the way back to Abraham, the father of faith. So they couldn't be wrong because these guys were OG, right? They were the original, right? No one can be more legitimate than us because we go all the way back to Abraham. We're, we are it. We know it. So Paul went back to this proud ancestry of theirs to point out that, you know, your ancestry doesn't put you in a right relationship with God. Each relationship with God is personal, and it isn't a result of your forefathers' relationship to God. And John the Baptist addressed this in Luke chapter 3, verses 7 and 8. He said, therefore, to the crowds that came out to be baptized by him, you brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? Bear fruits in keeping with repentance, and do not begin to say to yourselves, we have Abraham as our father. For I tell you, God is able from these stones to raise up children for Abraham. See, your, your ancestral lineage to Abraham does not make you a child of God. God could make a stone a physical child of Abraham. And so Jesus also addressed this in John chapter 8, starting in verse 31. So Jesus said to the Jews who had believed him, If you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples, and you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. They answered him, We are offspring of Abraham and have never been enslaved to anyone. How is it that you say you will become free? So you see how uh, they believed being a descendant of Abraham was what set them free. Okay, verse 34, John chapter 8. Jesus answered them, Truly, truly, I say to you, everyone who practices sin is a slave to sin. The slave does not remain in the house forever. The son remains forever. So if the son sets you free, you will be free indeed. I know that you are offspring of Abraham, yet you seek to kill me because my word finds no place in you. I speak of what I've seen with my father, and you do what you have heard from your father. They answered him, Abraham is our father, Jesus said to them. If you were Abraham's children, you would be doing the works Abraham did. But now you seek to kill me, a man who has told you the truth that I heard from God. This is not what Abraham did. You are doing the works your father did, they said to him. We were not born of sexual immorality. We have one father, even God. You see how these guys are throwing insults at Jesus here? Because Jesus birth was viewed as a bastard birth. And so they're saying like, hey, we weren't born out of sexual immorality. Right? And so they were trying to toss Jesus under the bus here and say like, hey, you're illegitimate. 
Verse 42, Jesus said to them, If God were your father, you would love me, for I came from God and I am here. I came not of my own accord, but he sent me. Why do you not understand what I say? It is because you cannot bear to hear my word. You are of your father, the devil, and your will is to do your father's desires. He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks out of his own character, for he is a liar and the father of lies. But because I tell you the truth, you do not believe me. So you see the conflict here. Jesus hit this really sensitive spot for them because their ancestral lineage was just so important to them. And so they were so upset, and Jesus acknowledged that you guys are definitely physical descendants of Abraham, but that does not make you a child of God. And so they took great offense to that, so much so that they were throwing yo mama things back at Jesus, right? They were just insulting him about where he came from and say, how dare you say where we came from? This is where you came from. And so the issue that Jesus, John the Baptist, Paul brought up was that the biological line, the ancestral line to Abraham is not what leads to a relationship to God. There's a spiritual line to Abraham that by faith we can have a relationship with God, becoming an heir of God. It's not a physical thing, it's a spiritual thing. Abraham believed the Lord and he counted it to him as righteousness. It was Abraham's belief in the Lord, not anything physical that Abraham did. It was his belief. And to further prove the point, Paul continued his history lesson and and gave an allegorical interpretation of it. Because if the biological lineage from Abraham was all that was needed to be a child of God, then what about the child who came from Hagar, who was also Abraham's child? So Paul's point was that it's not about your biological descent, It is a spiritual descent that is of significance of God because both Hagar's offspring and Sarah's offspring are both offspring of Abraham. So Ishmael and and Isaac shared the same biological father, but they lead to very different spiritual outcomes. Verse 22. For it is written that Abraham had two sons, one by a slave woman and one by a free woman. Same father, different mothers. The Bible gets kind of Jerry Springer right here. Ishmael was born of a slave woman, Hagar, right? Isaac was born of a free woman, Sarah. Now, why is this important? Well, the children had different standings, right? So Hagar was a slave, so Ishmael was born into slavery. Isaac was born of a free woman, so he was born free. Verse 23, but the son of the slave was born according to the flesh, while the son of the free woman was born through promise. Now, according to the flesh, that phrase, meaning Ishmael was born according to nature. That was biology, right? Abraham got together with Hagar. Nine months later, Ishmael, according to the flesh. And that act and birth were just the natural outcomes of what happens when you do such things. Sarah prompted Abraham to lie with her servant, Hagar, because she thought that she couldn't bear children. Ishmael was birthed out of that unbelief, that acting independently of God, that self-reliance and taking their own things into their own hands, that's what he was birthed out of. They were acting out of the flesh. Isaac's birth was also a natural act in that, that very act of 
having a child and, and, and birthing Isaac, those are natural biological things. But Sarah's conception was supernatural. Their belief that such a thing could happen was faith. Isaac was birthed out of belief, out of faith. And his arrival was birthed out of that obedience to God and that faith to God. Paul wrote this about Abraham in Romans chapter 4, starting in verse 13. For the promise to Abraham and his offspring that he would be heir of the world did not come through the law, but through the righteousness of faith. For if it is the adherents of the law who are to be their heirs, faith is null and the promise is void. For the law brings wrath, but where there is no law, there is no transgression. Right? No law, no justice. That is why it depends on faith, in order that the promise may rest on grace and be guaranteed to all his offspring, not only to the adherent of the law, but also to the one who shares the faith of Abraham, who is the father of us all. As it is written, I have made you the father of many nations, in the presence of the God in whom he believed, who gives life to the dead and calls into existence the things that do not exist. In hope, he believed against hope that he should become the father of many nations as he had been told. So shall your offspring be. He did not weaken in faith when he considered his own body, which was as good as dead since he was about a hundred years old, or when he considered the barrenness of Sarah's womb. No unbelief made him waver concerning the promise of God, but he grew strong in his faith as he gave glory to God, fully convinced that God was able to do what he had promised. That is why his faith was counted to him as righteousness. The author of Hebrews wrote this about Sarah and Abraham in Hebrews chapter 11, verses 11 and 12. By faith, Sarah herself received power to conceive even when she was past the age since she considered him faithful who had promised. Therefore, from one man and him as good as dead were born descendants as many as the stars of heaven and as many as the innumerable grains of sand by the seashore. Now, verse 23, back in our text of Galatians chapter 4. But the son of the slave was born according to the flesh, while the son of the free woman was born through promise. Ishmael's birth was natural. It was just biology. It's just normally what happens. Isaac's birth, supernatural, abnormal to the natural world. And Paul reminds them of this history lesson so then he could allegorically interpret this, which is what we'll find in verses 24 through 27. Verse 24, now this may be interpreted allegorically. These women are two covenants. Ishmael was born a slave according to the flesh. Ishmael symbolizes those who seek salvation by human effort, by human earning. Isaac was born free according to the spirit, God's intervention. And he symbolizes those who receive salvation through divine intervention. Now I kind of made up this really quick chart here just to kind of help us track. And so we'll just keep this slide up and you can hopefully track between Hagar and Sarah, Isaac, Ishmael. These women are two covenants. Okay, so we can look at covenants by looking at the Old Testament and the New Testament, uh, the Old Covenant, the New Covenant. And so Vine's Expository Dictionary defines covenant as this. A disposition of property by will or otherwise, it is the rendering of an agreement, a promise, or undertaking. So God had an agreement, a promise, a covenant to Abraham's people, his people, that he would be their God. The old covenant was established by Moses and it was based on the law. 
The new covenant was established through Jesus, paid for by his blood, based on faith. You take a look at Luke chapter 22, verse 20, and what Jesus said here. And likewise, the cup after they had eaten, saying, This cup that is poured out for you is the new covenant in my blood. The old covenant was based on law, and its works have been superseded by the blood of Jesus in faith. Verse 24, carrying on there, second part. One is from Mount Sinai bearing children from slavery. She is Hagar. Now Hagar is Mount Sinai in Arabia. She corresponds to the present Jerusalem, for she is in slavery with her children. Now you remember, Paul was writing allegorically. Okay? This is an allegory about the physical Jerusalem. And when thinking about the earthly Jerusalem, one would think about Rituals, regulations. I mean, this is the place where the temple is. And so regulations, ceremonies, all that stuff. And that's what Hagar symbolizes and corresponds to. She symbolizes slavery, rules, rituals, regulations, ceremonies, traditions. And she is in slavery with her children. Verse 26, But the Jerusalem above is free, and she is our mother. So Sarah symbolizes freedom and the new covenant she symbolizes the heavenly jerusalem jerusalem above and she is our mother hagar symbolizes those who attempt to earn acceptance by god through the old covenant through the law through these things that they're just trying to do to get closer to god sarah symbolizes those from a spiritual lineage not that you have to do anything but god is coming to you God is coming to you. Those who come through a spiritual line of promise through faith like Abraham and Isaac. Those who come to faith in Jesus. Christians. Christians. We are children from the Jerusalem above. The new Jerusalem. Our citizenship is in heaven. We are born again. We are free. Okay, So this was something that Nicodemus struggled with. And you can find the story of Nicodemus in John chapter 3. Verse 1. Now there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. This man came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher come from God, for no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. Jesus answered him, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus said to him, How can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? Now, the phrase born again in verse 3 can also mean born from above, right? So unless one is born from above, we can't be free in Jerusalem above. You can know the law backwards and forwards, up and down. You can know it so well, and you can live the most religious life, the most moral life, the most ethical life, but you realize that your lineage is still through Ishmael without Jesus. Without faith in Jesus. That is still a life of Ishmael. And you can't be part of both. You're either living a life as you're from Ishmael through your flesh, or you're living a life through promise, through Isaac. You're either a slave to the flesh, or you're set free by the promise. Then Paul quotes Isaiah chapter 54, verse 1, and Galatians 4, verse 27. For it is written, Rejoice, O barren one who does not bear. Break forth and cry aloud for you who are not in labor. 
For the children of the desolate one will be more than those of the one who has a husband. So Paul used Isaiah chapter 54 to continue this allegorical interpretation. Sarah was barren, but God came through on his promise with Isaac, and the Jews were slaves in Babylon. Right? But God came through on his promise with Jerusalem that this promise to and through Abraham and Jerusalem that this is actually still going on. This is still an active fulfillment because people today are still coming to faith in Jesus. So this is still going on. The promise is not completed. It is still going on. Galatians chapter 3, verses 28 and 29. There is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free. There is no male and female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. And if you are Christ, then you are Abraham's offspring, heirs according to promise. The promise is still in progress. Okay? Abraham's offspring are still coming to faith. And the church is not done with our commission. And Jesus is in love with the church. The church is the bride of Christ. And we are so loved by Jesus. Jesus is devoted. He is loyal. He is committed to the church. And when people say they don't need the church to have a relationship with Jesus, that's foolish. That's just utter foolishness. Christ died for the church. Christ died for his bride. He adores his bride. The church is ultimately the answer to the world's problems. I know it may not seem that way, but it is. The church, his bride, is who Jesus is coming back for. Don't get all arrogant that it's just, oh, it's me. It's just me. He's coming back for his church. God promised to have a relationship with his children, and as Christians, we have been given a gift of grace to have God as our Father. Take a look at Titus chapter 2, verses 11 through 15. For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people, training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions, and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in the present age waiting for our blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness and to purify for himself a people for his own possession who are zealous for good works. Declare these things, exhort and rebuke with all authority. Let no one disregard you. Take a look at Titus 2 verse 12 where Paul wrote, In the present age... Right now. Where's your faith right now? Because you can't rely on your past. Where is it right now? It's not based on what your parents did or what your grandparents did or that you were baptized way back then or that you did some confessional thing way back then or whatever you did religiously way back when. Where are you today in regards to renouncing ungodliness and worldly passions? living self-controlled, upright, godly lives in the present age, right now. Are you waiting for that blessed hope, Jesus, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness? He came so that we can be adopted into God's family. He didn't come for us to wait idly, doing nothing. He came for a people that are his, who are zealous for good works. Not that that earns you salvation. It is just a manifestation of your faith. 
It is an evidence of your faith that you are zealous for good works. It's not that you're out to prove anything. It's an evidence that you are indeed a child of God. 2 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 5 says, Examine yourselves to see whether you are in the faith. Test yourselves. Or do you not realize this about yourselves, that Jesus Christ is in you, unless indeed you fail to meet the test? Romans chapter 6, verses 1 and 2. What shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? By no means. How can we who died in sin still live in it? Is sanctification at work in your life? Is there evidence of godliness, of righteousness, of holiness in your life? See, that's not something that you can just manufacture on your own and do out of your flesh. That's the way of Ishmael. Those are evidences that are from God to show that we are indeed from Isaac. And they're not, we're not from Ishmael. A Christian is someone who has been redeemed by Jesus from all lawlessness. Someone who Jesus is purifying for himself. Not for you to be a goody two-shoes. It's for himself. right? Someone uh, who is in possession of Jesus and zealous for good works. So don't fool yourself or don't fool anyone else as to what a Christian is or who a Christian is. You can't profess Jesus and live like hell. You can't do that. What are the evidences of your faith? Not that you're manufacturing those things because you can't. But it's because the Spirit has indwelled in you and Jesus is working in you. And those zealous good works are coming out of you. And Paul said, examine yourself. Test yourself. How do you know you passed? How do you know you passed that test? You're more like Jesus. You're more like Him. Right? Who wasn't manufacturing good works. It was just coming out of Him. You continually are conforming into the image of Jesus. The purpose of Paul's letter to the Galatians was to refute a false gospel that the Judaizers were preaching and teaching. To remind those Galatians of the truth of the gospel, that it's to set you free, it's not to enslave you into law. And don't be led astray by those false teachings, such as the rules and the rituals and the ceremonies and all those things that they're wanting you to do. It's just a simple faith in Jesus dying for our sins on the cross so that we can have a relationship with a holy God. Don't let them make you get butchered, circumcised, to believe that you have to do that to have faith in Jesus. There's no rule like that. Following religious laws, performing religious ceremonies, adhering to religious regulations, those are not the things that make us holy. Right? Those things do not make us holy. The promise given to Abraham that he was counted righteous by faith, that's the same faith that we need in Jesus so that that promise is imparted to us. It's just that faith. Because Jesus died for our sins. Our guilt is freed from the consequences of it, which is death. We've been acquitted. We've been pardoned. Forgiven of our sins by God, not because we earned it or because of something we did, but because Jesus paid it all. Through His payment on the cross, we have been pardoned. No longer enslaved to sin and not enslaved to works to earn righteousness. We simply live as heirs of God. We live as children of God. Now how does this apply to us personally? Verses 28 and 29. Now you brothers, like Isaac, are children of promise. 
But just as at that time he who was born according to the flesh persecuted him who was born according to the Spirit, so also it is now. We live as children of promise. That doesn't mean our lives are trouble-free. That does not mean our lives are easy and all you have to do is look at the life of Isaac. Look at the life of Jesus. Look at the life of Paul and you'll notice something. That it wasn't the non-believers that gave them the most difficult time. Isn't that interesting? It was the most religious people that gave them the most difficult time. And I can attest to this too. And I think a lot of you can attest to this too. That it's the most religious people in your life that give you the heck of that, that, ah, get out of my face. The non-religious people, you're like, man, you're cool. Just give me a hug. The most challenging people I find in my life aren't those who oppose Christianity. They are those who call themselves Christians. Right? People who have just enough Bible to grow fangs <laughs> and make them dangerous. Seriously. People who take parts of the Bible that kind of resonate with them because they're wired a certain way or whatever. So if they're really judgmental people, well, we'll leave out the grace part. Or they're really gracious people, we'll leave out the legal part. It drive me crazy. Whole counsel of God. Right? And so, as a child of promise, there's a guarantee that you're going to be opposed. Guaranteed. By religious people. And if you want to take an easier route, just be a child of the flesh. Be like Ishmael because then you can just roll with the world and the culture and get those nice little hugs. And because anytime you want to act out of the flesh, they pat you on the back for it. Go for it. The most painful parts of my life weren't caused by the world. It was caused by religious people in my family. In my church. That's the most painful parts of my life. They were caused by those people. See, the world doesn't even come close to that. The world, because you have an understanding, it's the world. So when they treat you that way, yeah, it's, of course. But when it's someone that's not to be treating you that way, and they treat you that way, and you're like, you're a Christian, you're treating me like this, those are the really painful things. As a church, I think we have to be more careful about religious fanatics than we do about the non-religious world or things outside here, you know? I think we got to worry about each other and the judgment we cast on each other and the cynicism and the critique and all this kind of stuff that we hurl at each other. Verse 30, But what does the Scripture say? Cast out the slave woman and her son, for the son of the slave woman shall not inherit with the son of the free woman. Paul cited Genesis chapter 21, verse 10 here. What does that verse mean? Well, the enslaved person and the free person, they won't ever be able to see eye to eye. Right? The inheritance of those who have been given the promise by faith will never be able to be comprehended by those living in the flesh. It's just never going to be understood. And as long as you live in the flesh, you can't experience the freedom in the Spirit because it's not about religion. It's not about something we're manufacturing because you can be equally enslaved to religion as a work of the flesh, just as any other sin. And I'm also including Christianity when I say religion. Right? A relationship with Jesus is what is free. That is freedom. 
He paid the price. He took the penalty of your sin upon himself so that you can be free. And there are people who think they're justified because they live a good life. Right? You ask people, what is, what's going to happen to you after you die? Do you believe in a heaven and are you going to be there? Most of them will say yes. Most of them. Ask them. Don't believe me? Go conduct your own study. Whenever I ask this question, it's always yes. Except for a very few that say no and they're brutally honest with how bad they are. Right? But most of people will say yes. And then if you ask them why, they'll say, because I, I'm, I'm more good than I am bad. I do more good things than I'm bad. I'm a good person. I'm a good parent. I'm, I'm a, a good brother or sister. I'm a, I'm a good son or daughter. I'm a good spouse. I'm a good employee. Now, if that were the criteria, then yes, you'd go to heaven. But it's not. That's not the criteria. Who created that? The criteria is whether Jesus was accepted into your life by faith to take your penalty of sin so that you can be of the lineage of Isaac and not Ishmael. If someone is saying, oh, I do more good than bad, that's Ishmael. You're, you're, you're doing stuff out of your flesh. It's manufactured out of your own thing. You're trying to earn your way to God. And so if you ask Orthodox Jews how they interpret Genesis chapter 21, verse 10, it's also a much different interpretation. Their interpretation is that they are the descendants of Abraham, Sarah, Isaac. And everyone else is a descendant of Abraham, Hagar, and Ishmael. That they interpret this passage as they're the only ones free. Everyone else is not. So that you have to be biologically born out of that line. There is no spiritual line. There is no faith. There is no righteousness. That is so contradictory to what Abraham did back in Genesis. His faith, his belief is what gave him righteousness. And so what I find really fascinating here is that Paul quoted Genesis 21 verse 10 to the Judaizers, the Orthodox Jews, and to these new Christians in Galatia who are being kind of brainwashed by these legalistic religious folk. Because Paul was a Pharisee of Pharisees, right? And he used this very verse that Orthodox Jews, such as the Judaizers, used to separate themselves from the Gentiles to point out that you guys got it all wrong. It's not physical lineage, it's a spiritual one. And you, Orthodox Jews, religious, legalistic Christian, you are the enslaved one. You are, in fact, the Ishmael line. You got it all wrong. The true heirs of freedom are not from a biological lineage. They are from a spiritual one. Verse 31, so brothers, we are not children of the slave, but of the free woman. So the question for us this morning is, which lineage are you? Are you living a life as that of Ishmael, or are you living a life as that of Isaac? And Paul has a lot more. He has written about faith and the law in the first several chapters of Romans, which we don't have time to look at. I just want to look at Romans chapter 3, starting in verse 20. For by works of the law no human being will be justified in his sight, since through the law comes knowledge of sin. But now the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law. Although the law and the prophets bear witness to it, the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. For there is no distinction, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a propitiation by his blood to be received by faith. 
This was to show God's righteousness because in his divine forbearance he had passed over former sins. It was to show his righteousness at the present time so that he might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. Then what becomes of our boasting? It is excluded. Can't do it by works. By what kind of law? By a law of works? No. But by the law of faith. For we hold that one is justified by faith apart from works of the law. Or is God the God of Jews only? Is he not the God of Gentiles also? Yes, of Gentiles also. Since God is one who will justify the circumcised by faith and the uncircumcised through faith. Do you know the righteousness of God this morning? Because it's not about being religious. It's not about church attendance. You look at Paul. Right, just an extreme religious zealot who persecuted Christians in the name of religion. See, Paul was of the line of Ishmael until he met Jesus on the road to Damascus. He was on that road. Then he was born again as a child of promise from the line of Isaac when Jesus changed his life, when Jesus entered his life. He was regenerated. Right? He was transformed. He was born again. He was born of heaven. At that point, Paul was freed from religion. He was freed from the law. He was freed from his flesh, set free by the gospel. Last week, I shared that I am in anguish for some of you and that I'm perplexed by some of you, and that hasn't changed in a week. And part of my confusion and part of my anguish is because I know the word of God changes lives and it's taught faithfully here. And if you're a Christian, you can even study it on your own and let the word of God change you. But it just doesn't seem that all of us are spiritually growing. It's just not evident in everyone's lives. In some, it's very evident. In others, I just don't know because I just don't know you, but there are others, it's not. And I'm in anguish that some of you know the Bible and you practice its teachings, but you're doing so as though one in the line of Ishmael. It's not part of your faith. It's just part of like an act. Or it's just part of like what you think is to be right. But it's not something manifesting inside from within where you've been fully regenerated and therefore those are evidences of the regeneration. But you're kind of doing it backwards trying to do all the external acts to change your heart when you're never going to get there. You have to reach out to Jesus and let him change you from within and those things will manifest out of you. He'll change you from within. And as long as you're doing those external things, those external religious acts without a heart change, you are of the line of Ishmael. You're living like Paul did prior to the road of Damascus experience that he had. You're just being that. My hope and prayer for you this morning is that you are really, truly born again, born from above, that you are the lineage of Isaac. Because doing this external act thing, trying to just prove that you are a Christian and being honest, it's so tiring, isn't it, if it's out of your flesh? It's like a bummer. You might as well just go party hard and do what you really want to do. I mean, it's, it's such a waste of time. It's like so hard to do that when you're doing it out of your flesh. Just be a really good sinner then. 
Why deprive yourself if you're really of the line of Ishmael and pretend that you're a Christian and live like, a, oh, I'm supposed to live a holy life, but inside you're just all rotten stuff? Just be your real self. Be who you really are. Seriously. Why be enslaved? It's only when you really have a real faith in Jesus and it comes out. Not that that's not effortless either, right? But you know where you're going. You know who's with you. It's a struggle. And you know you're going to get hit left and right, especially from the religious, right? But that's what happens, and at least we know that. But where are you this morning? Ishmael, Isaac. Make your call and really live that way. I'm not going to judge you. If you want to live like Ishmael, I'd probably enjoy you more anyway. Let's pray. Father, we don't want the law, we don't want your grace to give us license to sin. We just know, Lord, that the relationship with you is not fabricated. That a fake relationship is the same as no relationship. So, Lord, may that be real in each person's life here this morning. May it be a real personal relationship where you have taken residence in people's hearts and in their spirit that out of them comes these zealous good works because it's just evidence of them being a child of yours. It's not the other way around. So, Father, may you equip each person here to be able to come to you in faith that your righteousness would be given to them because of that faith step. In Jesus' name, amen.